Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. I want to thank uh, my special guest today for being on the show. Super excited about speaking with Larry. Uh, I've known Larry Kenmore for a little while now. Uh, had a chance to actually meet him on our Living Undeterred U.S. tour at the um, Wolf Street Foundation in Little Rock, Arkansas this summer. Um, Larry then proposed an idea. Uh, I jumped on board. And I'm so happy that our paths cross because people think I work hard. Larry, I have to say, there's not many people in the mental health uh, recovery, substance use, distress space that works any harder than me, but you'd be one of them. Uh, welcome to the show. Well, I appreciate that. But uh, um, we're out to try, to try to solve or eradicate this issue that everybody else has been addressing for the last 15, 20 years without success. So. Well, the elephant in the room is what issue are we talking about? Um, I- uh, the issue we're talking about is um, overdose deaths, um, a drug problem, um, mental health problem, mm-hmm. homelessness. Um, you know, they're all interrelated and they're all connected. And um, we have thousands and thousands of programs across the country. Uh, all working in silos, nobody working together, mm-hmm. everybody thinking they have the answer and statistics and facts. And Rotary is big on statistics and facts, proves that absolutely not one of them has made a difference in this issue that we have of uh, overdose deaths, uh, drug addiction, mental health, homelessness. Nobody, nobody. Yeah, and let's let's um, talk a little bit about a couple different things. Um, first of all, you're the North American chapter leader for an, uh, uh, an, uh, a committee from Rotary International, the Rotary Action Group Addiction Prevention, R-A-G-A-P. Uh, you're the North American chapter leader. So Rotary, and I'm a, I'm a Rotarian, um, Rotary was very instrumental in the eradication of polio. So we know when Rolio, when um, Rotary puts their focus on something, they're pretty good at <laughs> at winning. Rotary now is turning their attention on the opioid epidemic. So what makes you think that they can pull the same thing off as they did with with uh, polio? Well, if you uh, we spent a couple years looking at the playbook, uh, seventeen volumes that they have of what they did and how they did it, and what worked and what didn't work, and what to expect and the pushback, and we looked at all of those things to try to figure out why it was successful and what worked. And so, what we do know is the number one um, uh, lever that made it successful is Rotary is a local community organization. It's in the community, it's community members. And when Rotary um, takes on a project in the community, they're successful at it. Mm-hmm. You can't point uh, to anything that Rotary hasn't taken on in the local community that they haven't been successful at. And so uh, by doing that, uh, taking that playbook, uh, those volumes and looking at all that stuff, We then went out and looked at just about every program that you can think of from homelessness to mental health to um, to treatment, recovery, um, school education. We looked at all of it and uh, taking the data from each one of those things that we looked at, we kind of narrowed it down to five specific things that it's going to take 
in a community for a community to be successful. And those five things uh, came up with the acronym, acronym of SMART. Mm-hmm. We call it Project SMART. And SMART stands for S, a in-school education program that is age and grade-based uh, versus just having a school-wide uh, project where everybody comes together once a year right. and you discuss an issue. We, we discovered that um, in educating about polio, Polio, uh, it took a 30 years of school education, age-based, grade-based, um, for the kids to start graduating from school, realizing that polio is there, it's a problem, and it can be eradicated. And so we kind of took the same thing on. The next one was M of, of SMART, which is medication and drug disposal. And we know that everybody has medicines in their home cabinet and they throw them in the trash and flush them down the toilet. It's polluting our water system. And so we need to get them out, out of, um, out of the environment and right. get them out of the home safely. And so we came up with a in-home, a safe drug disposal bottle that immediately neutralizes them right there in the home, keeping in your medicine cabinet. And then the A, which is our awareness is kind of our PR, our naloxone training and, um, realize that, um, Research, in fact, recent research, 2022 from uh, Lancet shows that there's not one community, city, state, county in this country that is even doing 10% of the amount of naloxone training that needs to be done. So Rotary will be doing uh, community naloxone training on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. Then yeah, that's the amazing. R of Project Smart is recovery. Um we want to provide people with a database of verified uh, recovery people that have provided their data that you can show what your actual um, success rate is. Most people don't realize that um, um, there's an organization that has collected data for the last 30 years on all these uh, recovery places and the actual success rate overall for everybody is the same as it was 30 years ago, 34.4%. Mm. Hasn't changed that much. However, people need to know that instead of um, somebody saying, oh yeah, you give us $30,000 and um, six months or three months or 30 days or 90 days, uh, we guarantee they're going to be cured. And we know that's not true. Right. It's absolutely not true. So people need to have a local database in their community, which the Rotary Club will provide where they can log on and look up all these people and see what their real success rate is and uh, what they do and what they don't do. And the last one is the T of Project SMART, which is treatment. Um, Treatment is one of the key issues that needs to be addressed in this crisis that we have. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's less than, there's not enough, uh, there's not enough physicians in this country to treat more than 10% of people that need treatment. So we have 90% of the population that needs treatment, they can't get treatment because we don't have enough physicians out there to be able to do that. And as you know, Dr. Gupta, who sits on our board, wrote the book to prevent a epidemic where he goes through and tells um, why that is so and what needs to be done. And so we are going to address that issue community by community of providing data on what treatment is available in that local community. So that's what each individual Rotary Club is taking on and launching in their local community the Rotary is going to do it community by community by community, the same as we eradicated polio. That's very admirable. And obviously I'm committed to the cause. The 
challenge that I see, and again, I've been thrust into mental health advocacy only the last five or six years of my life, uh, is it seems multifaceted. One, it's a moving target. Um, seems like we focus on one thing and then very quickly there's another distraction. Um, and then we focus on that and then there's another distraction. And that's that kind of that whack-a-mole game that we play with mental health, you know, we go after one thing really hard and then other things start to pop up. The other thing I see, Larry, and you and I've talked about this at length is the synthesis on, on symptoms versus causes on you know, supply versus demand on intervention versus intervening rehab versus prehab. It's like, it seems to be both sides of the fence need work simultaneously, but it seems like more emphasis today is on the supply side, on the symptoms. And we don't spend enough time on why people are doing these things in the first place, the loss of identity, the loss of confidence, the, the lack of purpose, um, spirituality, um, you know, all things out there, social media has made it very difficult to have any semblance of, you know, positive, uh, thoughts today because everything's so toxic and so negative, but do you mind talking a little bit about, um, your personal thoughts? Well, yeah, on, let me, let me, yeah. let me address that. And so, you know, the name of our group is the Rotary Action Group for Addiction Prevention. Right. And so, um, actually the, um, lead in or the foray into this whole uh, issue is the opioid crisis, which is our door opener. But, you know, the issue is, is we have an addiction problem in this country and it's not just drugs. Oh, I mean, absolutely. We have more alcoholics than yep. we do have, have uh, drug addicts. Yep. And so we are not just uh, zeroing in just on the opioid issue. Um, as we said, those five programs that we have mm -hmm. don't just deal with the opioid crisis. We're also dealing with alcoholism and some of these other issues that are out there that are addictive. And so um, people need to understand that um, there is addiction. Um, alcohol has an addiction problem they have had for years and um, it needs to be addressed from the ground up. And that's why our school education program is a committed 20 year project. We believe based on what we did with polio, that it's going to take 20 years of school education to be able to graduate those children from school where they have been um, taught what addiction is, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or whatever. They, they need to be taught year after year so where they're grounded in what addiction is and why they wouldn't want to be addicted. Now, you were a paramedic in San Diego. Do you, do you remember in your days when you were a paramedic? I mean, I'm sure you were seeing lots of really, you know, tough times and, and people in, in hurt, but is it really that much worse today or is it just being talked about more today? No, it's, it's much worse today. And the reason it's much worse today is because we have more addicts than we did back in the eighties. Um, you know, it was a black tar heroin and then meth came along after that, but we still have, um, we have more people that are dying because of the fentanyl. Um, and we have more addicts than we did back then. So it's, it's just a, uh, it's just a larger issue and it's a larger issue because we have more people with addiction. So, and a lot of people move from alcohol to drugs Yeah. or from drugs, to alcohol, they're, they're going both ways. So 
the problem is not the alcohol and it's not the drugs, it's the addiction issue. And then um, I'm a Vietnam veteran. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the Navy. A um, lot of friends that I know came back with um, all kinds of addictions. And now all the, a lot of these guys are homeless and on the street, mm -hmm. but they still have an addiction problem. And now they're homeless on the street after defending this country. And so all of these things are all interrelated, but it starts back again at that 20 year committed project of we have to educate the kids so that by the time they graduate from school, they have been educated what addiction is and try to make that decision of not becoming an addict, whether it's alcohol, drugs, or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty clear if, if what we were doing as a society was working that you and I'd be selling cars or something, we'd be doing something completely different. The reality is what we are doing isn't working. And I think, you know, just even the word addict <clears throat> to me holds such power. It's like disorder. It's like, I think, and this is just my opinion. And, um, I, I'm just a dad from Iowa, Larry. I don't have any medical background at all, but I think we're all addicts. I, I don't think if I say somebody's an addict, there's an implication that there's somebody that isn't. If I say somebody has a disorder, there's an implication somebody doesn't. So in my terminology, I just say we're all addicts. Um, some of us have addictions to other things than other people do, but I think it's human to be addicted. I think it's perfectly normal to have addictions. And again, addictions by definition are the negative addictions. It, it, I can argue with someone that, Hey, isn't working out a positive addiction. Well, they'll, they're going to say, well, by definition, that's not an addiction that that'd be a compulsion or something. But I think if we, especially with our kids, if we make them understand that they aren't abnormal, that every other kid on the globe has addictions and thoughts like they're having, I think that's a very first step in how we can start to get this narrative change because when we say someone's an addict, we're almost putting them in a box and, and assume somebody isn't. And, and again, you can be a gambling addict, a sex addict, a food addict, and it can be just as destructive in your life than any other addiction, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and again, um, sex addicts don't die from overdoses. Um, people that have, um, you know, eating disorders, um, they die from their eating disorders. And so we have this, this issue about, we have to train, we have to train them up yeah. from a young age that there is addiction, whatever the addiction is, that Fent there is addiction and you don't want to go there. Fentanyl changed everything. Fentanyl just really, fentanyl yes. changed everything. Cause I, when I was in high school, um, back in the seventies and eighties, um, people didn't die. You know, we, we could go, I could go all years of high school, all years of college and not know one person that died. Um, now every school and my, my, my boys know well, their brother and their mom did, but I mean, not counting those two, they know people that have died, it, it, you know, from lots of different things, but a lot of it's things that were preventable and predictable, the decisions, the choices people were making were ending in their lives. But for some reason, we just didn't die back in the eighties. And, and that's fentanyl just really ramped up our, well, our ability. You know, to that's have... not necessarily, that's not necessarily true either because um, people were dying from cancer, from lung cancer, from smoking. Yeah. And smoking I, yeah. I meant drugs habit, and alcohol, but you're right. And so yep. I, I understand that. Yep. But what I'm saying is, is that there are people dying uh, from, from some of these things. And, the children need to be trained that there is addiction 
and what it causes. And that's what our, our school, our 20 year foundation school training program, yeah. the S that starts with project smart is about because that's, that's the foundation of any country is their youth. Yeah. And I, mean, I love the, 20, that's the future of the country. I love the 20 year angle because you're right. If you bring in a motivational speaker and he speaks at an assembly and the kids get all jacked up, you know, within a couple hours, you know, they're back on their phones, they're back having alcohol at the football game. I mean, not a whole lot changes now. Sure. One kid or a handful of kids, that may be a life-changing uh, uh, discussion, and, and that's that's certainly worth it. I'm not saying let's don't let's don't have these people do these things, but I think to really change behavior, you have to put the well, you, autonomy. You, know, you, you have really to put the autonomy in the hands point, of the kids. Then. Go ahead. Sure. And the interesting point that you brought up is that um, you know, um, yeah, we need to do these things. However. We need to work together instead of pushing back saying, right. oh, I've got this program over here and right. we've been doing it for so many years and, you know, we're getting funding for it. And you guys, Rotary is going to come along. You're going to do what you're going to do. Well, why are you doing what we're doing? Right. Uh, the issue with Rotary is real simple. You keep doing what you're doing. We want to add to it because we don't believe that there's enough being done in any of those pieces of Project Smart. Not enough. Yeah. And the, the statistics as Rotary is good on numbers, it is not working. Yeah. And it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's about saving lives. And that's, that's the value of harm reduction. And that's, I've got my, uh, my box of Clexado right here. So let's talk, let's segue into naloxone, which basically, uh, Narcan and Clexado the difference between the two. Now let's pretend we're talking to people that have really no idea what any of this is in the first place. So let's, let's um, have you kind of talk at a very easy level for people to understand. And then we can move into the differences between um, Narcan and, and Cloxado and um, maybe some of the pushback we're hearing sure. on both. Sure. Well, just let me lay a little groundwork. First, yeah. I was a paramedic. I gave lots of naloxone in my day, lots of it. However, we didn't shoot it up somebody's nose. We always started an IV and we gave an IV and there was instant reaction. Now, first of all, let's explain to people uh, what, what this is for. It's for people who overdose okay, this, by this, opioids, this right? This drug, naloxone, yes, naloxone um, reverses the uh, effects of overdose, which is the main effect is you quit breathing. Correct. So right. the issue is, is that when you quit breathing, you're now losing oxygen to the brain mm -hmm. and every second counts because in three to four minutes, you're going to be brain dead. You could be revived, but you're going to be brain dead. Right. So the issue is to get the person breathing, get them oxygen and get them back in a state where they're breathing on their own. And so naloxone reverses the effects of the uh, depression of the respiratory system. Okay. And so... What you want to do is if you believe that there is somebody that is overdosed or you know that there's somebody's overdosed, you want to give them naloxone as soon as possible. Any side effects, so with me if, saying if, that, if somebody's, you know, any side effects of the uh, naloxone, you know, Narcan, uh, if somebody has asthma or somebody's no. a diabetic or something. No. In fact, that's one of the things we learned in paramedic school was that um, if you suspect it, give it because there is no side effects. If somebody's got heart trouble, diabetes, um, whatever, 
there is no side effects to any of those other problems. And how long, how long has so, this been on the market? Um, well, I was giving it back in uh, 1977, 78, See, in the 80s. So I think people think this is a new a new invention by, by the medical community to save lives. Oh, no. and I, people don't realize it's been around for a long time. Yes, it has. However, the paramedics have carried it for years and years and years since the 70s. And um, like I said, back then, we gave it IV. In fact, paramedics today give it IV. I mean, they start an IV and they give it IV, which is instantaneous. However, this um, new way of giving it, of giving it nasally, and you know, there's a lot of blood vessels in the nose. And so you inject this into the nose and it's immediately absorbed into your blood system. And, you know, it goes right, right to the heart of the issue, which is that drug that's in your, in your body and start you breathing again. So, you know, it's, that makes it easy for anybody to carry in their pocket um, and easy for people to give it knowing that they can give it and there's no side effects and you're not going to be sued. I mean, there's, there's no side effects. You're not going to be sued. And so, um, the issue right now is with the fentanyl, this new fentanyl being so strong that um, there have been, uh, we have about 300 documented cases so far of some of the products on the market not working currently. And so. And what would be the reason the why they're not products working? Products that are currently. on the market right now is four milligrams. Okay. So that's the standard. So, the, the, the standard forever has been four milligrams of. Narcan, naloxone. Yes. Even in the ampules that we used to give as a paramedic, there was four milligram ampules that we used to. And that was sufficient inject, back uh, before fentanyl came into play, right? For the most That's part. exactly right. It was okay. sufficient. Yes. You, I, in fact, I've done some research and can't find any stories uh, back in the 70s or 80s or whatever of the uh, naloxone not, not working. But now, um, and on our website, we have the uh, on-scene uh, New York paramedics having to give um, four or six doses of naloxone to try to save somebody's life. And so if it's four milligrams and you're having to give four to six doses, um, we have collaborated, Rotary has collaborated with uh, Hikma Pharmaceuticals uh, for their Cloxato, which is the newest on the market. That's what I have um, right eight here. eight milligrams instead of the four milligrams. Yes. And, um, there's other people that have been in the market for years and the four milligrams that I guess feel that this is going to affect their uh, sales income or whatever. Um, but our issue at Rotary is we want to save lives. Mm -hmm. We want to save as many as possible. We want to be at the leading edge of whatever we're doing. And so having eight milligrams versus four milligrams, we believe is being at the leading edge. That, that's one issue of it. The other issue of, is the cost. And so we just discussed it's been around since the 70s. Mm -hmm. So it's a very cheap drug. It's, it's not an expensive drug. And so if it's been around that long and it's not that expensive, then why are these other products so expensive when Hikma comes out with Cloxato? That's about 50% less than these other products that are on the market. So, yeah, why is that? As I said, we want to be at the leading edge to, to be able to give out and to get out more of naloxone that we can possibly do. Um, not necessarily using a brand name or whatever. We're just saying naloxone, we have eight milligrams. It just happens to be Cloxato. Right. And I'm sure 
there's other companies out there right now coming up with eight milligrams too. Yeah, I, and that's I, where I people have to understand are. Narcan, Cloxado are both naloxone. Right. So it doesn't matter what the brand name is. It's, it's all the same. It's naloxone. Yeah. It's just what the strength of it is. Right. And it just comes down to, to the dosage. But why, why is it lower cost then? Just because it's a more of a generic name or? Well, as I said, uh, naloxone's been around for years. Right. So it's a very inexpensive drug. So the issue is, I believe, um, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I guess the issue in the cost has to do with the company that yeah. is distributing it. Right. All I know is that Cloxado is just about 50% less. And, and I was recently in Kansas and I met with the people in Kansas and they've exhausted their budget buying other products that are so expensive. They would have had, yeah. if they'd have bought Cloxado, they'd have had twice, almost twice the amount of naloxone available to the public. And that's, that's what a real issue is. And, and I need to add to this that, most of it is being purchased with your taxpayer dollars, grants from the government to local communities to buy naloxone, whatever they buy, whether it's injectable, right. nose injection, um, whatever the brand is, they're getting the dollars to do it. So why would you not want to make your dollars go twice as far and goes back to the issue of we're only addressing 10% of the need that's out there. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, we could spend time splitting hair saying four or eight or six or whatever number we want to use. And the alternative is zero is not having it at all. And that's pretty much guaranteed death. You know, at least if you had four or eight, you've got a shot, you know, even if it's not enough, it's, it's still better than zero. I would think zero, you got no opportunity. Um, maybe you give a couple doses of four, maybe you give three, still they have a chance, you know, and I think it's all about saving lives and giving that person that's struggling another day, another fight, you know? So we, we believe at Rotary that um, naloxone needs to be as common as seatbelts. Right. You got to have it. Everybody, right. they should be carrying it everywhere. Well, let's jump into the other part of the, the project smart. Uh, one part that I think is very, you know, needed and innovative and um, want to compliment Rotary for doing a good job with this is that's the drug disposal area. Let's talk about the, the, um, the uh, disposal, uh, I don't know, that I can't, I'm just forgetting the name of the larger unit you guys have. Then you have the disposal. It's a kiosk. Kiosk, thank you. Then you have the smaller um, containers that are with fluid in them. Talk a little bit about how that works and, and how that can be beneficial to the community. Um, so, you know, everybody um, has got leftover medications of some kind, whether it's over the counter, whether it's prescription or whatever, they houses are full of them. Right. Um, the best example I can give you is um, we made a video of a lady that her husband had just passed away and she holds up a plastic bag full of medications mm. that mm. she was getting ready to throw in the trash. Mm -hmm. Now, once you throw it in the trash or flush it down the toilet, it's in the drinking water. And most people don't realize that once it's in the drinking water, they're listed as forever chemicals by the EPA. And the reason they're listed as forever chemicals is because there is no known process to remove them from the drinking water once they're there, except for distillation, which is cost prohibitive for any community to distill all their drinking water. So the issue is, is we need to stop throwing them in the trash and flushing them down the toilet 
And we do know that the most successful way to do it is to have it in the home. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, the drug take back day has been around for years. I'm right. not saying do away with it, but the statistics are pretty drastic. And that is, it's been around for all these years. The amount of drugs that they collect at the drug take back day has gone up in tandem with the number of deaths. And you can go to the DEA website and they can show you the amount of drugs that they've collected and they can show you the amount of people that die every year and the number of deaths and the drugs collected have gone up in tandem with each other, which means we're not doing enough. There needs to be more. And so um, we believe that having it in the home, um, it's like recycling. You know, people recycle in their home and they recycle more because it's in their home. Right. Instead of having to go out to the curb. Right. So because of that, we believe having that bottle in the home or having these kiosks around that more people will dispose of the drugs versus flushing them down the toilet and throwing them in the trash. Well, you and I did quite a few rotary presentations. I think we did six or seven together in the last couple of weeks. And probably the most eye-dropping or jaw-dropping, uh, eye-opening part you do in your whole presentation, Larry, is when you put the results of the water test in the local community up. And I remember being in, I think it was Marshalltown, Iowa. I'm sipping on a glass of water that they serve at the restaurant. And then you put up, oh, by the way, we tested the water here in Marshalltown. You put up the, the picture and I'm like, okay, I probably don't want to have any more water. I mean, it was, it was amazing. Every place we went, when you tested the water, it was a full page of, of chemicals that you would, you would see. And I, that has to be something that people had no idea. No, they do have no idea. They did not realize that I had flushing no and throwing them in the trash leaves it there and keeps it there. Yeah, that that's um, part of the education process of this whole thing that, that we just need to keep giving the word out. Um, okay, so what other areas of advocacy are you involved in? Um, it can be a continuation of some rotary projects, but are there other areas of advocacy that you are involved in? Just personally. Um, personally, um, probably not right now because this is kind of my full-time um, <laughs> yeah. issue of bringing together in every local community that a Rotary Club is in that has taken on this project of bringing together and collaborating together with all of these people, such as your Living Undeterred Project. Mm -hmm. We we. We want to get people out of their silos working together. Mm -hmm. If we would work together, we could solve so much more, so much faster. But when you go into a community and the local whoever, coalition, drug organization or whatever says, why are you coming here when we're already doing that? And we tell them, it's not enough what you're doing. We just want to add to it. You keep doing what you're doing. We, just, we want to collaborate with you. We can do it together. And there's been very very few places in this country that I've traveled over the last two years that want to collaborate. I got to say the most um, eye-opening one was the state of Kansas recently. I mean, I'm going to visit with the head of the Department of Health on the 20th and um, the Drug Coalition came to me together and want to collaborate and want to try to do something. And um, I, I, it was kind of eye-opening for us because it's been so much pushback and there's not pushback there because 
Kansas wants to do something. And that's got to be frustrating. Every state has a different uh, lens that they're viewing this from, a different agenda. I mean, I know in Iowa here, fentanyl test strips are still illegal. And that just seems to me very unfortunate that we've removed a tool that people that are using, you know, that still are human beings at the end of the day, um, and that we just treat that so criminal that things like a test strip aren't available as a choice for them. Do you see... Do you get frustrated with each state being so different and how they look at this stuff? You know, whether you're a harm reductionist or you're, uh, you know, a, a prohibition person or you just think everything should be criminalized, everything should be outlawed. You know, at the end of the day, I think our emphasis should be on giving these people that are really struggling. These are somebody's sons and daughters. These are somebody's parents. These are somebody's cousins and neighbors and coworkers. Why can't we be more on the same page in regards to getting these people just to live another day, just to fight another day and, and stop judging them as being such a moral failing that they that these stigmas are really holding us back, I think, from advancing the cause? Well, you know that Rotary believes and Dr. Gupta is our big advocate for it. Yeah. And that is this is a disease. It needs to be treated like a disease. And so if you're going to treat it like a disease, you have to have the medication and all those things available to them. If you're a diabetic, a diabetic has a test strip. Mm -hmm. And they have a test strip for a reason, to test their blood, to see how high their blood sugar is. Mm -hmm. And so we, we need to be treating this, this issue the same way. We need to have a drug to treat it. We need to be able to treat it and um, save people's lives because the only thing that has been successful in this whole thing, even at a small amount, 85% success rate treatment. Yeah. Treatment, 85% success You're rate. looking at buprenorphine, uh, methadone, uh, med medically Suboxone. Yeah. I mean, th those are treatment uh, um, I, medicines, I guess. I don't know the terminology, but they're, they're, they're treatment uh, systems. And there seems to be pushback even on that. It's like, why are you giving a drug to stop somebody from doing drugs? And it's like, it's because you don't understand how it works. <laughs> um, the, the evidence is very in the favor of these uh, treatments right. that they do work. And people that are on uh, these, um, um, the ones that we mentioned, um, and there's a number of them. It's more than two or three, but they seem to, to uh, can wean down the amount that they're using and, and hopefully get off them completely. Sure. Sure. And, and, you know, Dr. Gupta, who is on our board, is that's what he's done for the past um, uh, almost 20 years. And I've been to his office and um, he's had people that are 15, 17 years in treatment. But guess what? They're still alive, Jeff. Mm -hmm. They have a job. It's all they that have matters. children. Yep. They have a family. It's all that matters. They drive a car. It's just like I mean, a diabetic. I mean, they're we're, treated. We're just, and they're we're in just such a... Yeah, we're just such a, a righteous country that we're so agenda driven, we're so politicized that, you know, things become weaponized like fentanyl, you know, and I know everyone's got their own thoughts on should fentanyl, like, for example, be a weapon of mass destruction and all these things. It's like, you know, I just got done watching a really good documentary called The Fix by Johan Hari. Just watched it last night. And we spend so much time on semantics and splitting hairs and, and, and thinking we're doing the right so thing. True. It is true. And it's like, I just don't understand why, you know what, call it what you want. It isn't going to go away. Just what we call it, you know, and it's not going to stop the reason why people do these things. 
people are hurting. People are trying to get away from something. They're trying to bury their pain. And we call something a weapon of mass destruction. We think that's just going to go away. I mean, it's insane to think that way. I understand people are angry. I'm mad too, you know, lost a loved one to this crap. I mean, I, I, I want to eradicate all this stuff too, but until we change behavior and, and underst- understand why people are doing these things in the first place, I just think we're fentanyl is going to be replaced with something else. Oh, for sure it is. It already for has. Sure. It already is working sure on that. that they're going to come. That's exactly right. So, you know, it, it comes back to the issue again is that um, we need to educate the children during their growing up years of what addiction is mm-hmm. and why they would not want to be addicted to something. They, they, that's where it's at. I mean, if it's not fentanyl, it's going to be something else. You can be sure of that. I mean, I black tar heroin was just, yeah. and then meth came along and it's like people have no concept of what's really coming down the pike. Cause it's going to be something else uh, everybody needs to go back and read the story about the opium wars that we had. Mm. This is, this is so similar to that. Mm-hmm. It's scary how similar it is to that. Yeah. We know, we know, you know, um, criminalizing all drugs isn't an effective tool. I think someone said that no. the United States has more people incarcerated for drugs than most of the world combined. It's, it's amazing how much uh, money and time we spend on locking people up for things that probably not probably things that they needed to be in treatment for not incarcerated for, but it's, it's, it's good PR. Oh yeah. It's, and, it's and, good public relations for the state, the city, the government, Elected officials, yep. it's all just public relations. I mean, every time that you see that more people are dying, then more politicians and elected officials come up to the plate and say, oh, look, here's what I'm going to do. It just gives them more public relations time that solves nothing. And I think the answer isn't to, to legalize, you know, every single drug. I mean, obviously, there are some countries, you know, Portugal, Switzerland. I mean, there is evidence out there that some of these strategies have actually worked. Um, now people will nitpick it and find other statistics in those areas that aren't favorable, but you can't have a utopian environment. I mean, you're going to have some give and take with any type of, um, legislation with these things. But, you know, I think, I think our country's coming to some senses. I mean, I, I'm not, I've never done, never smoked marijuana full disclosure, but there are, there are some aspects of cannabis that, that, can be productive. Um, I think psychedelics is another area that we really need to, as a country, be open about these things. Um, because I go back to the precedent that I just talked about. If what we were doing was working, we wouldn't have to entertain any of these other alternative options. We would just keep doing more of what we're doing. Problem is it isn't working. And so I'm not pro psychedelics. I'm just saying I'm anti what we're doing. You, fo- you follow that right. logic exactly there? Exactly right. Yeah. And that's what Rotary is too. Rotary is who are against what's already been done because it hasn't worked. And the reason and we don't know worked, what the right answers are. From a fact, statistics. Right. Right. And we don't know what the right if answers are. If everybody would work together though, yeah. we could get a lot more oh, done yeah. instead of sitting in silos. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that was frustrating on my tour because I'd go to one stop and I'd have to kind of educate myself on the state laws. I'd go to another stop and... Other things were more harm reduction was very well embraced in some states and other states. It's 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 the kiss of death. People don't talk about it. And you wonder why we have these issues that um, are so difficult to solve when you have so many different agendas out there. Um, it gets gets really tough. Um, well, what's uh, 
what are some other projects that you think rotary i know right now that's plenty the water the water issue is a really big one and the uh, opioid epidemic um addiction and well you do you do know that um, the environment is at the top of the list with rotary along with uh, the addiction issue but also mental health um our next international incoming president is going to be his key issue is mental health and so that's great um, we, be, we believe that, um, I'll give you an example of uh, Vietnam veterans, the guys that are on the street, the guys that have a drug issue. It's a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. If you talk to these guys, you talk to them one-on-one, you realize it's a mental health problem that they had mm-hmm. that they came back with from wherever they were at during a war. And it, it's a mental health issue that needs to be addressed and treated along with everything else. It needs to be added. It needs to be added to the mix. Another bullet for the gun. It's a mental health issue. Yeah. And I've, I've made the analogy, Larry, that if you drew a circle and you had a wheel, that the wheel is mental health. And then each spoke represents addiction, substance abuse, depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, sleep disorders, gambling addiction. I mean, all these things are spokes in the wheel. And the problem with, with when someone says mental health, it's just so subjective. It's just, it covers everything. I mean, we all as human beings have mental health issues. There is nobody that's ever lived that hasn't had some concern with one of those spokes and everybody's solution is uniquely different to them. That's why AA works for some, but it doesn't work for others. That's why you have success rates on some of those expensive 30,000 a month facilities that you talk about. Sometimes their success rates are 15%. That means 85% of the people that are going through these 30 day programs, spending $30,000 are throwing their money away. You know, it's, it's disappointing so, that, that so there hasn't the, been something that comes from, from personal. Go ahead. Sure. And from personal experience, as you know, from our family, and that is that people are not going to get mental health treatment or any kind of treatment unless they want to. You right. can't force it upon them. So it comes down to the issue of um, what do we have available that's going to keep them alive until they make that decision? That's the conundrum of this whole thing is, is how long do we um, wait until they decide that they want to get treatment, mental health treatment, drug treatment, any kind of treatment. How long do we, how long do we wait around until that happens? That's the big conundrum. Yeah. That. And when do you start because for prevention, because that's the other end of the spectrum is that, you know, how long do you wait to get help? But then when do you start having these conversations? Um, When do you start having these conversations with, with kids? Because, the next generation of the addicted and the depressed and the anxious and the ones that take their own lives, they're all three, four, five, six, seven, and eight right now. Right. So when, when is it too young? So I get that asked all the time by parents. When do I start having these conversations? We believe it starts at first grade. You got to be, you got to every year based on their age and the grade they're in, have something for them where they are, they are, by the time they graduate, they've had at least 12 years of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's That's nothing ever been done like that before, ever. Nothing. 
Well, it should be. I mean, we had the we had the dare program. Yeah. But the problem was, is the dare program. You got sixth graders and twelfth graders all sitting in the same room listening to the same story yeah. with two and different, uh, probably four or five different types of brains in that in that room listening to the same story. And most it of the time, we know most of the times you're not going to scare people out of changing behavior. At least that's True. not going to be long term. How you change behavior is you inspire them. You give them hope. You give them something to live for. Uh, scaring people to not go down certain roads, that that doesn't work long-term, Larry. You know that. I mean, you know, you tell your son or daughter not true, to do something. True. They may they may not do it for the weekend or the next day, but, you know, uh, when it's all said and done, they're eventually going to try things. And and so it's, it's um, inspiring them to make better choices and give them the control that they can make better choices, you know, the autonomy. That's the why the name of our uh, education program is called Agents of Influence, showing them how. That's great. Um, in modern day technology and words, you know, this is what it's about. Instead of um, just having this piece of paper that says something on it, we we have this uh, animated program that's developed with Rotary Clubs that um, is pretty modern and up to date. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be able to help Rotary. Because they can um, become an agent of influence in their area. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Rotary's right on, on pace to do some amazing things in par with what, um, or on par with what you guys did or we did with um, polio. But um, how can people reach you as we wrap up the show? And um, what's the best way for people to get more, more information on your programs? Um, they can go to our website, which is uh, rag. R-A-G-A-P North America dot U-S. R-A-G-A-P North America, all one word, U-S dot U-S. Or you can email me, Larry, at R-A-G-A-P North America dot U-S. And um, be glad to um, talk to anybody, especially Rotarians or anybody that wants to collaborate. Any other groups out there that are in this space, um, we'd love to collaborate. Well, you're an inspiration and I admire what you're doing and I'm um, happy to be uh, on uh, on the team with you guys. So I um, want to thank you very much for being on the podcast today. And um, uh, you and I will be uh, seeing each other uh, very soon. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was good talking to you. I appreciate the time, Jeff. All right. Well, thanks, Larry. Very much appreciate Keep it. Keep living undeterred. That's the plan, right? <laughs> Take care. Thanks. Thanks. 